Last week we uh, looked at just two verses here, verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 4, and talked about how in these two verses the whole Christmas story can be summarized. That when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And we talked about the fullness of time and how the world had been prepared for that with the Romans taking over the world and building roads and the language being the Corne Greek language. And the world was just set for the coming of Christ and the quick spread of the gospel. Today we want to just we want to look at the last phrase there in verse 5 where it says to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Sometimes I think at Christmas time with the manger scenes and the chorals, the, the Christmas uh, songs that we sing and uh, all that goes along with that, we sometimes uh, put aside what it accomplished. And he's saying here in this passage that what's accomplished for those who believe and trust, repent of their sins, is the adoption of sons. And so what does that mean? I think sometimes uh, in a wrong way, uh, when people are adopted, they can be looked upon as, as unfortunate people who had been abandoned by their parents or their parents had died or something had happened and they are adopted into a family. And though the parents may not see them as any different from biological children, sometimes the world sees them. And so adoption sometimes is not lifted in a high status and so I want it to talk about uh, this word adoption and what it means. Uh, in Paul's day, this idea of adoption was very important and increasingly important in the Roman life. Uh, in fact, uh, in the first century, uh, it became a kind of a complicated thing because Roman emperors would adopt men not just ch- not children, but actually men into their family with the whole purpose of them succeeding them and being the new Caesar. Uh, one time this kind of caused some problems uh, uh, <clears throat> during the emperor Claudius. Claudius had adopted Nero, uh, who you know is the one that burnt Rome, blaming it on the Christian because he wanted Nero to succeed him on the, th- on the throne and not one of his own children. Uh, the two men were not of any sense of blood relatives. Nero wished to cement the alliance by marrying Claudius, uh, the daughter, uh, Claudius's daughter, Octavia. But because he had been illegally adopted, he was legally the son of Claudius, he couldn't really marry Octavia because it was against the law uh, to marry your sister, although they weren't regulated blood-wise. And so they had to take it to the Senate. The Senate made some special rules and let Nero marry Octavia. 
And uh, there's some words before we begin, and I'm going to have to kind of hurry through this, but I think that uh, we need to understand the difference between uh, regeneration and, and uh, adoption. Usually, usually in John 3, uh, you know, you must be born again. Uh, we look at John 3 as being birthed in the family of God, but John 3 is really about regeneration. That is, that before I was corrupt, lost, a sinner, and when he said you must be born again, he's not talking about being born into the family. The family is not what's being talked about in John 3, but what's being talked about is, is regeneration. We also have another term, justification, a justification, and I don't want to get too technical here, but justification, uh, regeneration, it's a change in nature. Justification is a change in my record that I've been made though just as though I've never sinned. And so justification is a change in my record. But when we get to adoption, this word adoption really has more to do with my relationship, my relationship with God. My nature has been changed in being born again. I've been justified, that's a legal term, but adoption is a change in my relationship. I, come, I go from uh, being uh, a non-relative to being, to being his son. And uh, this was this was uh, was this this idea of justification was very prominent in uh, Paul's day, and and in the Roman and Greek, and so I want to I want to uh, give you a little bit of background here. He uses this uh, term justification, and he begins there in verse one of chapter four. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. And so he says here that the heir, which would be the natural born physical child, is no different than the servant. And really, you need to understand that word servant is a slave. And so being born into a family uh, didn't make you anything any more than being a slave. That your status as a child was a slave-like status. Uh, and, and again, remember that slavery in the New Testament is not to be compared with slavery in early America where terrible things took place in exploiting of the black people. But slavery was being owned, being told what to do. In Paul's day, a child was considered on the same status as a servant, as a slave. During, in the Roman culture, about the age of six, kind of like in our culture, uh, a, a child begins his schooling. At age 11, he went to a, a secondary school, you might want to call it middle school, whatever, and there he began to learn history and philosophy and geography, geometry and music, astronomy, the Greek language. And all this time that he was going to school, he was underneath a guy that was in the, 
Greek was called a pedagogus, and the New Testament calls him the schoolmaster. When you see that the, the word schoolmaster in the Bible, do not confuse that with the teacher. The schoolmaster was one who would watch over the child, that he made sure that the child did his homework, he made sure the child got to school, he would take him to school. If the child needed to be spanked or disciplined, he would do it. There wasn't a single thing that, that the Greek or Roman child could do without the schoolmaster, without the pedagogus, watching over him and, and uh, okaying it. And so he was, he, was like a, he was like a slave, he was like a servant. He had to do what he was told to do. And uh, that was very strict. The boys, until the age of manhood, were not even allowed so much as to step out of the house without the tutor's knowledge. And so a child was a slave. He's under the hand of the overseer, called the schoolmaster in chapter 3, verse 24. Uh, and like I said, not to be misunderstood as a school teacher. The schoolmaster actually took the child to the teacher and, and did some tutoring at home. At about 17 years of age, after he had finished his education, a young man would officially be taken to the center of the city called the Forum. And there he would be declared to be an adult, uh, no longer under the schoolmaster. He would be registered in the government as a citizen. He would receive his first shave. He would uh, discard all his children's clothes and, and he would discard his toys, his child, children's toys. And he would be given a, a, a garment called the toga. And when he put the toga on, it was, it was signifying, he always wore this toga, or not the same one, but a toga, and it would signify that I'm of age, I am a citizen, I'm now an heir, I'm no longer under the schoolmaster, I, I am legally a son, and he was free from the life of being told what to do uh, by uh, the schoolmaster. Uh, He would inherit his sonship and all that his father had. And you see there in verse 3, it says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And so he's trying to compare us spiritually to the, the culture. And he said, when you were a child, you weren't yet really legally a son. You, you are underneath the tutor and you're in bondage. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that they're under the law, that we might be receive the adoption of sons. And so he says there's a time in life when they're going to no longer be a, a child, but he's going to be a, a son, he's going to have citizenship, and he would inherit all that his father had. We wrote this on the board there, but 
Regeneration is a change of nature, justification, a legal term, a change in my record, but adoption is a change in my relationship. And when we talk about adoption, there's really three areas to that. There's adoption in the Bible is adoption in the Bible is a legal term. Adoption in the Bible is a very emotional term, and adoption in the Bible is a future glory term. Let's look at uh, as far as being a, a legal term. When the child would be 17, his father, thinking that now he's mature enough that he can become uh, an adult, this is what would take place. Whether all legal and social relationship to the natural family were uh, severed. Uh, if a guy was older, the same thing. But when he was, when adoption took place, everything in the past was done away with. If it was adoption of an older guy that he wanted to become the succeeder to the throne, all of his ties to his biological family, what he was born into this world as, is going to be uh, removed. So all legal and, and social relationships of the natural family were once and for all severed. He was placed permanently into the adopted family. When, when the adoption took place, and when he turned 17, no longer could he be put aside or got away with. But when he turned 17 and he, and he went down to the forum and these, these things, registered as citizens and these things took place, you could never not be a member of that family. If you were adopted and you were Jones and you adopted into another family and it was the family of Smith, you would always be a Smith. When adoption took place, it was final. There was no way to get out of that or around that. All these previous debts and obligations were erased as they never existed. Of course, a young child wouldn't have debts, but when you adopted an older person into your family that you wanted to see your throne, they may have debts. And every, every debt that he had was dealt with, is wiped clean. No longer did he have those debts. They were dealt with, they were paid, and he was free from any indebt indebtedness of the past. He would have equal rights of inheritance as the natural children. He, would, he wouldn't be a second-class citizen. He wouldn't be, be uh, lower in estimation, but he would have all the, the same rights and inheritance as a natural children. And... Uh, for the transaction to be binding, it must be witnessed by seven witnesses. And so adoption, even today, has, uh, has a, a legal aspect to it. My niece and her husband, a number of years ago, adopted three children. Uh, and they uh, had to go through a certain process for each one of them. And there was papers to sign, there was obligations to meet, and finally there came to a place where Lauren Kelly Sager, uh, my niece and her husband, 
had legally adopted, and these kids were theirs, and they were theirs permanently. Well, in this process, you can see uh, something that's being said here that's very wonderful. All legal and social relationships in natural family were once and for all severed. My relationship to Adam in the fall was completely severed. I've become a child of God by faith. When I was adopted into the family of God, when he talked about here, and, and you can see, he says here, to redeem those that were under the law, he paid the price, that we might be, receive the adoption of sons. That, that when, I, when, we, when we're born again into the family of God, all of those all of those relationships with my past have been severed. I'm, I'm sorry. Job got me a new clicker here, and it works wonderful. Uh, there was a permanently adopted into the family that that uh, that uh, Paul said, "I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day." And in Romans chapter eight, that or uh, Romans that we're in the Lord's hands and then, and then we're in the Father's hands and no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand that I'm permanently once, I get, once I'm saved I'm not going to lose that and then all previous debts and obligations were erased as though they never existed that uh, when I stand before God in heaven there'll be no debts to pay right. completely completely erased and I now have equal rights of inheritance as the natural children. Listen, I want to tell you something. I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ. And all that he owns, I own. And so are you. We have equal, equal. And that's, that's what this adoption is speaking of. Once I was a child of wrath, a child of disobedience, a child of the devil spiritually, but when I received Jesus as my Savior, all that relationship was severed, and I'm placed in the family of God once for all, my past debt. I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ. And the witness to my adoption is the greatest witness possible. The Holy Spirit, along with all the host of heaven, is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when people are saved. And so adoption here is... A legal word. Uh, it's a. It's a. It has a legal term. But I want you to look in uh, here in verse six. Adoption is not only a legal term, and it parallels salvation. A child of wrath, child of disobedience, child of the devil. I've been once for all placed in the family of God. My past, present, and future debt of sin has been paid. I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ, and the witnesses to my adoption is the Holy Spirit along with the host of heaven. But it also speaks in a, in a very emotional way. You see there in verse 6, it says, And because we are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I drop back to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, 
and verse 15. For, you, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. So what I'm saying, there's not only the legal term of adoption, but there's a spirit of adoption that go, goes along with it, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When a person is saved, we find there in verse 8 and 9 that the Holy Spirit indwells them. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And so we find here in Galatians, let me read the Galatians verse again, but in Galatians it says, because you are sons, God has set forth the Spirit to his into your heart, uh, uh, because you are sons, God set forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And so, in one place it says the Holy Spirit cries, Abba, Father. And in here it says we cry, Abba, Father. But the point is, is that many as are in the spirit of God or the sons of God there in, in 8.14. What, what I'm simply saying is that when I got saved, the Holy Spirit entered into me, and there was an emotional thing that took place in me. Uh, when we're talking to people about salvation, we try to make sure that they understand that salvation is fact, faith, and feelings. That, that uh, our salvation is not based upon how I feel. But my salvation is based upon facts of the word of God. That I'm a sinner. That Christ Jesus died for sinners. That repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, uh, that salvation is based upon facts. And those facts are, are applied to my life, are, uh, are incorporated into my life when I put my faith in facts, that, that salvation is not a matter of blind faith. It's not a matter of, a, you know, a jump, going to the edge and jumping off in blind faith. No, my, my salvation is based upon the solid truth of the Word of God. But, but, it, but it, it, those facts mean nothing until I put faith in them. And the last thing is, the, is feelings, that, that the the, 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 the engine that pulls the train of salvation are facts. Faith applies it to my life and then feelings. But I think sometimes, you know, because we want to stress, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of, not of works, that we often forget feelings. And we kind of, we kind of, Dismiss feelings. But uh, he says here in verse 15 of Romans 8, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father,
I know that I'm saved because his spirit communes with my spirit. Adopted son could come along and they could say, uh, and even a biological son, does dad really love me? After all, I'm adopted. But the very presence of the Spirit of God speaks to my heart and assures me. When it says here, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, receive the spirit of adoption, whereby, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, it uh, speaks of some of the greatest emotional uh, senses, emotional experiences that we can have. We cannot obtain that by good works. We cannot obtain that by changing our living standard. But it's uh, generated by the Spirit of God itself. You see, uh, salvation is much more than embracing facts. It's much more than just acknowledging a need. Salvation is much more than a process of the mind. And not only are we in a day when people de-emphasize repentance, but they also de-emphasize heart belief. And they make salvation simply an acknowledging of facts. But with the heart, man believeth unto salvation. And with the mouth, confession is made. And so, there's a, there's, adoption speaks of a very emotional thing. And he says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What is that? Well, every language, uh, every language has, has a term that they use for, for uh, the father and the mother that a child would say. I think in, uh, in some of the Alaska uh, cultures, it was umpa. Uh, it seemed like a lot of them end with ah, because <laughs> maybe babies say that first. But mama and papa are, you know, if my dad had been gone for a long time, and I come and I say, uh, oh, Father, I'm glad you're back home. Well, it just seems like that's kind of, <laughs> kind of cold. But here I am at the, at the airport, and, and I see this family with uh, this mother with a little boy, a couple little boys, and they're looking on the stairs for, the, for somebody to come. And there's dignitaries all around. There's important people there in the airport. But they see their dad come down the stairs and out the door. And they run to him and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Why is that? They don't care what anybody else is thinking. Because 
there's a personal relationship with their father. And he's saying here that, that when we talk about being adopted, it's not this idea of someone who is less than the biological, but what it's talking about is that, that, that we, are, we are, are just as much their children as biological children. In fact, we know spiritually that we're all sinners by nature, and none of all of us need to be adopted. And that's the illustration Paul's giving, but it's a, it's a cry of adoption. No one, no one had to tell me that I was saved. Why was that? Because the Spirit of God was in me. And the Spirit of God communicated to me. And, and before, when I was in church and the, and, the, and the preacher was preaching and the invitation time came, I would close my ears as much as I could and hope that the, today the preacher would only sing three verses of invitation and I'd get out the door. But you know, afterward, what, I, what a joy it was to me to go to church after I'd been saved and sit there and say, Go ahead and sing a hundred verses. I don't care. You know, there was peace and joy in my heart. And I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and his banner over me is love. So I knew with a certainty that I was saved. The songwriter tried to make that plain when he says, uh, Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his, and he is mine. Well, you say, well, where, where do you, how do you experience that? Where do you, you know, how do you get that? Well, uh, for me, I experience it in my office when I'm opening up the word of God. And sometimes I have a heavy heart. And sometimes I need assurance and direction and, and help. And this verse that I've known for a long time, somehow, for some reason, it jumps out and speaks to my heart. And he says, uh, I am his and he is mine. And here's your answer. I experience as I read a verse in the Bible and God assures me that he loves me. And I know beyond a doubt that those words that I read that day were for me personally. I experienced the, the adoption of the, the spirit of adoption when I sat listening to a sermon and and the Lord comes along, and sometimes he, 
he knocks on my heart's door and he says, uh, that's where, where you're at. That's what you're doing. You need to confess it and, and change your behavior. Or he comes along and says, <clears throat> that's where you're at. You're mine. I'm going to take care of it. It'll be all right. I'm still on the throne. I'm not forsaking you. I still love you. And so when Paul talked about adoption, there's a there's very much the legal term, but also there's very much the emotional term. But also, if you go to Romans chapter 8, And verse 18, Romans 8 and 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul is saying, okay, yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. But he says, uh, it, can't, it can't even be compared with what we're going to have. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That we're waiting for something. That we're going to be manifested. We're going to be manifested not as citizens of this earth or our fallen, corrupt nature, but we're going to be manifested as the sons. For the creature was made subject to vanity, that we are frail, that we are limited, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So he says not only are God's children, those who put their faith and trust in him, being delivered, but all of creation. There'll be no more suffering. The lion going to lie down with the lamb. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and developeth and pain together until now. This world is corrupt. And even in, in the nature of fauna and flora, you know, trees die, corrupt. And not only they, but, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, remember, we have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was given to us as a down payment, as earnest money. And not only they, but ourselves, also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. 
For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? And so he's, well, this word adoption has more to do than just having our sins forgiven. Not just, but amazingly having our sins forgiven and being a child of God. But he says that our bodies are waiting the adoption. What is that? <laughs> well, that means when we go home to see Dad, there's more to come. There's more to come in this adoption. That I'm going to have a new body. It's going to be an eternal body. That I'm going to have a new world. It's going to be an uncorrupt world. And our, our, our bodies uh, long for that. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? And so when I was saved... I became a child of God called adoption and all the things that went with it. My past debts paid for. One of the things we didn't mention there, but when when he went down to the Apiform and he put on a new new clothes there, uh, he 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 became a citizen. And we're citizens of a new country. And another thing to study out there in, 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 in uh, relationship to putting on the toga, people want to use that passage in Galatians to say that that's Holy Spirit baptism into the body of Christ. But what it is, he's putting on his uniform. The baptism doesn't place us any place except in the local New Testament church. But baptism is signifying, it's putting, it's putting on some identification. When they, looked, when they looked at the guy wearing the toga, they knew something about him. He's an adult. He's an heir. He's a citizen. And when I submit to New Testament baptism and place, baptized in the water, it, it identifies me with Christ Jesus. And so... What I want you to see today is that Christ's birth in Bethlehem was a precursor, what was necessary, was a part of this, in the fullness of time, God sending forth his son, that the birth in Bethlehem allowed me to be a citizen of heaven a child of the king, heirs and joint heirs with Christ. It allows me to be able to say, Abba, Father, O oh Lord, O oh God, my Father, 
Oh, Daddy, please help me. And he always does. All right, we're dismissed.